Today, we're going to pick up from the very same story that we dealt with in, uh, from the very same day of Easter, of Resurrection Day. So if you'll turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, we're going to, um, we're going to read some scripture. I don't think God will be offended by us reading scripture here in church this morning. Do you think so? I think he'll be okay with that. So just to refresh our minds that... Um, Jesus had come to earth. He had lived for 33, about 33 and a half years. The last three, three and a half years of his life, he was on earth. He was going around the, uh, the, the area of there, Palestine. He was going around the area and he was, he was doing great works. He was um, healing people. He was raising people from the dead. He was curing leprosy, uh, restoring blinded eyes. He was just doing great, amazing things. And, uh, and, and also, he was teaching and preaching, informing people about the kingdom of God. He was letting them know that, that there's a kingdom that goes beyond the kingdoms of this earth and, and that, that there was the kingdom of God that he was representing on planet earth. And so as he went around doing these things, that, that he began to call some people to come and to, to follow him, to walk with him. He, he called for some disciples. We know that, that he called 12 disciples specifically and and then beyond those 12 disciples who walked with him and ate with him and went everywhere that he went, that there was another 70 disciples we read about in the scripture. And those 70 disciples at one time, they were sent out to do works of ministry. They went out and prayed for people and talked about the kingdom of God and cast out demons and saw healings and all kinds of, of wonderful things. And, and then there were, there were hundreds of others that we find out through the scriptures and from history that, that they, were, they were kind of the next level disciples disciples that walked and sometimes they would, if Jesus was in the area, they'd go and see him and they'd, they'd spend time and they'd hang out on hillsides with him. Sometimes that crowd would even grow to um, many thousands of people, the scripture informs us. And, and um, these people had committed their life to, to following Jesus, to, to being ones that had put their hope in him. But, but then when it, when it came to the time of his arrest when he was um, arrested in the garden, you, most of you know the story, and, and then he was taken and he was beaten, he was scourged, he was, he was just marred beyond recognition, history tells us, and, and then he was taken to a cross and he was stretched out on that cross and he was crucified. Later in that day, he was taken down from the cross and the scriptures tell us that he was taken and placed in a tomb, and the tomb had the, a big stone rolled in front of it, and that stone was sealed. And during that time, many of these followers, many of these disciples of Jesus Christ, many of these people who had put their hope and their trust in him, they, they began to, to drift away. They, they, they began to pull back from following Jesus. They began to... To, to second guess whether they had made a really good decision or not because they'd put their hope in a man that was now dead. And so many, many of these disciples, they left. They, they stopped following Jesus. They walked away. You know, we have the advantage. We have the vantage point of being able to, to look back on the resurrection we, we look back on the resurrection with a sense of joy. We, we celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the, all that Jesus did in his death and in his burial and his resurrection because of all that he gives us, the, 
We know that death was destroyed. And how many people say, praise the Lord, we're, we're gonna, we're, death is destroyed, amen? That's a great thing. And, and now we're given eternal life, but like we found out a couple of weeks ago, that, that not only just life there, but God gives us life and strength and hope and help and, and power to live right here on planet Earth. Anybody glad for that? Hallelujah. Man, you should be a lot more glad than that. I'm just telling you, man. Woo, we need his help, and I'm thankful for his help, and I'm thankful for his presence. But that's not what was taking place on that day. On that day when he was buried and placed in the tomb, there were many people that were really just upset and, just, and, and distraught. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to look in at a couple of these disciples of Jesus. We're going to read a section of scripture that's called the Emmaus Road. Okay, anybody ever heard of the Emmaus Road? So if you'll look with me to Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13, it's a little bit of a lengthy section of scripture, but stay there, great story, you're going you're gonna to love it, all right? Now behold, two men, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another while you walk and are sad? Then one of them, who was named was Cleopas, answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what the, now I don't know about you, but I find this just a bit humorous. You know, Jesus is like, hey, man, what do you mean? What happened? What's, what's going on? How many people think Jesus probably knew what it had more, what it had more than anybody else in this, right? So uh, I, I think that's interesting that he says that here. What things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, catch this, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, which I think their focus was on him redeeming Israel. His focus was on redeeming all of us. Amen? So, okay. We hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these, thing hap these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early this morning astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that there had also, they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? And I love this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him. They implored him, saying, Abide with us. Come, Sid, it's uh, toward evening, and the day's far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished. He disappeared from their sight. 
And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them and gathered together. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, this story, I think, is so filled with amazing things. And I, I want us just to grasp these today. And, and I just pray. And, and why don't we, let me just ask you to do this with me. Just say, Holy Spirit, help me today to receive all you have from me, from your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today we're going we're gonna to look at this story and we're going to grab, take hold of a couple of benefits that we can draw out that apply to our lives today. Ready? Benefit number one. Here we go. They got found. They got found. Now, when I thought about this, I started to think, has anybody here ever been lost? Don't elbow your husband, ladies. That is not nice. Do not do that, okay? Okay. There's different levels of lost, aren't there? Uh, last week, Yvette and I were up in Dallas for a couple of days, and, um, and, um, and, and we were returning, coming home, and there was, there was traffic up there. Now, some of you may not be like me. I love traffic. It's just, I, just being in traffic is, now I'm lying. Lord, forgive me. That's, a, yeah. But we were in this traffic jam, and there, were, there was just traffic, and I, I could see where I wanted to go, and I thought, oh, I'm sure that I can take some of these back roads, and so I got out of line and cut, made some cuts through, tra- you know, through these little neighborhoods and stuff, and, and, and I could, kept, kept seeing, I want to be right over there, I want to be right over there, and all of a sudden, I found out that, that from where I was at, I could not get to where I wanted to be. Has anybody ever been in that kind of a situation? You can't get there from here, right? <laughs> so, so uh, as humbling as it was, I um, went retraced my tracks and got back in line, further back in line, which I just praise the Lord. I was really happy about that. Further back in line, had wasted all that time. But hey, you know what? But, but that's a little thing. That's, that's a little bit frustrating, a little bit um, um, ag- uh, frustrating, aggravating, irritating, but but not really a big deal in the, in the scheme of life. But, but then there's other kinds of lost. There's kinds of lost that we, that we hear about on a regular basis where, where somebody travels out into the woods or they travel out in, uh, into the desert or they're, they're, they're stranded or, or something like that that really has life and death implications. And just recently, within the last few weeks, I watched a, um, a show about the, uh, the USS Indianapolis. Anybody ever heard of the USS Indianapolis? Just an, an astounding, astounding um, program. It said that the USS Indianapolis, on July the 30th, 1945, had gone on a very special secret mission, and, um, and they went without cover, but this great big destroyer carried about 1,100 people on the destroyer, that they, um, they were coming back, and on, at 14 minutes past midnight on July the 30th, 1945, was hit by two torpedoes, and this ship literally broke in half, rolled over, and in a matter of 12 minutes, this, um, this ship sank. Um, out of the 1,196 people that were aboard, about, historians say, about 900 of those people made it into the waters. 
They were in the waters for some four days before they were discovered, and uh, there was a plane that was actually just flying some missions. They, they, people did not, they thought they just lost radio contact, did not know the ship had been torpedoed. And, and these 900 people were out there floating, and many, many of them, and, and I, I'm not trying to be graphic or, or coarse in any way here, but, but um, they said in, that immediately at the dawn of the second day that, that they started being attacked by sharks. And when they were finally rescued, there were 317 people that were rescued. The others had died, lost out there at sea. It's not a very, that's a different kind of lost. A whole lot different than being in traffic, isn't it? I, um, I just recently, I've heard of the story for a long time, haven't seen the movie. I hear it's a great movie, but um, about Aaron Ralston. Does anybody know who Aaron Ralston is? Aaron Ralston is a hiker that in April of 2003, he was a very accomplished young man as a hiker and, uh, and had done a lot of guides, uh, tours. He decided to go out uh, on a hike out in the, uh, the, the southeastern Utah mountains. I think it was called the, the Blue John Canyon in so southeastern Utah. And as he was there, first of all, he made two mistakes. One, one thing that he did is he went out by himself. And the second thing that he did is he didn't tell anybody where he was going. But, um, but he gets out there, and, and he's um, very experienced, so he feels like he's very competent out there. And he's, he's squeezing through a very tight area between these rocks. All of a sudden, one of the rocks gets nudged, and an 800-pound boulder lands on his arm. And some of you are remembering the story, aren't you now? So he was trapped there for a few days, and finally, on the fourth day, he made the decision that he wasn't going to be able to survive if, in this condition. So he took out his little keychain pocket knife, and he amputated his own arm to set himself free. He was lost there without hope. Now, the good side of the story is that uh, on that very day, his mom finally convinced the people to go out looking for him and sent a helicopter and found him. The, the story goes like this. Had he, had he not been found within one hour, he could have died. Hey, listen, being lost isn't fun. I, I remember when uh, Yvette and I first moved to the Bahamas that uh, living on this little island, we, um, we had a little 16-foot open boat and and this boat um, really wasn't to be to carry freight with, but we'd had some things that were left over on the mainland. It was about a 20-minute boat ride away. And, and so I went over one day. It was great weather. Everything was wonderful. Went to the dock, got the things, loaded them in my boat, came back out of the, it's called Marsh Harbor, out of the harbor. And as I headed, set my course for Man of War, I noticed that the weather had changed and the wind had, had, had come up and and, and it didn't look promising, but I thought, well, you know what, I, I'm sure I can make it home without any problem. So as I started out into the, to the waters there, they, um, the, the winds came up, the clouds came up, it began to rain. I was wearing glasses that day. The boat was getting water in the boat. I was having to, to bail the water out of the boat. And, and before I knew it, I was lost just out in between in this seven mile, six mile gap between these two islands. And and so I kept trudging along. I thought, man, I've, I've got to be getting close. And one hour went by, and two hours went by, and three hours went by. And finally, I, I recognized an island, and I, had, I was literally off course seven miles. And, uh, and, and let me tell you, being out in the water and, 
and, and not knowing where you're at, that's, that's a scary, scary thing. And so I began to make my way down the shoreline and, and finally got to our island. And as I was just coming uh, up along the shoreline of our island, I saw a boat coming towards me. And I recognized that it was one of the men from the church, and he'd been notified. Yvette had got worried, and uh, that everybody, you know, where's, where's the pastor at? What's going on, you know? And he's lost out here in the waters. And, but you know what? Even though I knew I was going to be safe, I can't tell you what joy it brought to my life to know that somebody was looking for me. If you were lost, how many people would like to know somebody was looking for you? Wouldn't that be a good thing to know? And that's what we find in this, uh, in this scripture. Jesus came looking for these disciples. In their time of frustration, in their time of confusion, in their time when, when, when they had great disappointment in their life, he hunted them down. He, he, he came after them. In a time when their, when their faith was at their lowest point, he was on, their, on his way to them, and, and he, he, was, he was already, just coming out of the grave, he was already caring about his disciples. Now, now sometimes I think we miss this. I, I think we get it a little backwards. Uh, we, we say, you know, I got saved, I came to the Lord, I accepted Jesus, I gave my life to God. But, but in reality, the truth of the matter is, it's him that came looking for us, Amen. Jesus was the one that knew that we were lost. He knew that we needed help. And as Luke chapter 19 puts it, in verse 10 it says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Anybody say hallelujah? Woo! Are you glad that he came to seek and to save the lost? John 6, says, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. We've been drawn to God. We've, he came and he searched for us. He sought us out. Anybody remember an old song that has a little phrase that says something like this? says, I once was lost. Come on, say it with me. But now I'm found. He's the one who found us. He's the one who came looking for us. He's the one. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one that knows the way. He's the one that's watching over you, and he's the one that's walking with you. Amen? Amen. So I want us to get this this morning. Just, just like those disciples, in our worst moments, in the times of our deepest grief, our deepest, deepest difficulties, our most trying times. Anybody ever had any trying times? Nobody? Praise the Lord. We've all had trying times, haven't we? We've all had moments when we've blown it. We've all had, had deep hurts and moments of anguish and times when we found ourselves just weeping beyond control because life was overwhelming us. Let me, let me tell you, in your angriest outburst, in your darkest moment, in your ugliest moment of life, Jesus isn't running from you. Jesus isn't scared of what's going on in your life. He's looking for you. He's coming towards you. He's on his way to find you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Somebody should give the Lord praise for that this morning. Amen? Man, I like that. They got found and we can get found right where we're at. Hey, just here, here's a freebie. Okay, I'll throw this one in. You don't, you don't have to pay for this one. This is a freebie here. Who, who were those disciples that were walking along the road? Well, one of them gets named. One of them's named Cleopas. And then the other one we don't know. Now, all the pictures, you know, they showed Cleopas and another man walking along. And, but, but many historians believe that 
that the person that was walking with Cleopas was his wife. Her name was Mary, and, and Mary was, um, actually, she was a relative of Jesus' mother, Mary. And so he was close to what was going on. He was, he was close to what was taking, um, taking place in this whole situation. As they're walking along, when I read this over the last few weeks, there were two things that stuck out to me that, if, that I'd like to just kind of add as special points this morning. I want to give them a big pat on the back for doing two things that I think set an example for us. One was they didn't go it alone. They were walking together. In the midst of disappointment, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of having poured their life into something that looked like that it had failed, and, and they had every reason to just say, I'm just going to just get away, get alone here. The scripture says that they were walking together and they were talking together. And that's the second thing, I think, communication. You know, we've all had pains. We've all had difficulties. We've all had troubles in our lives. And, and, and I've got to tell you that, that through the years, it has amazed me that there's a pattern that, that, gets, that, that, that happens, that shows up in people's lives. They, they have some difficult situation happen. They, they get into a difficult time. It's, it's finals time, okay? Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Finals week comes up or, it's, uh, or, or financial pressure happens or we get into somebody, we, we get hurt by somebody. Somebody says something or somebody does something or, or we do something that, that, that really embarrasses us and we take on shame and, want, and these two things continue to happen in people's lives. The first thing that generally generally happens is people begin to shut down. Now, parents, have you ever gone to your kids and asked them this question? Hey, what's going on? And they said, nothing. How's life? Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything, anything you want to talk about? Nope. Yeah. You ever, maybe you've had that happen with a spouse or with a friend. Uh, let, me, let me really encourage you here, okay? D don't shut down in difficult times. That, that's the time when you need to take that step of faith, when you need to take that, that extra, extra step of faith, and you need to step into conversation and into relationship. Amen? And the second thing is we, have, we find people who just withdraw. They step back. They begin to put distance between themselves and their friends or their family. They, they begin to put distance between, and, and it happens across the board. Uh, Chris and I and others we've talked about, it's amazing. Two people can get into a conflict with each other and they both step back from the church. Let me tell you, folks, I mean this with all my hearts. In the difficult times, in the hard times, in, the, in those, those times when, when there's pain, those are the times to step in to family, step into relationships, step into the family of God. It's the time to come and let's share our hurts, share our pains together. Amen? I'm serious. If This will be worth its weight in gold if you'll take it, write it down, if you'll put it to practice in your life. Don't shut down. Don't step back. Open up and step in, and God will do amazing things. Amen? I, um, I looked this scripture up, but it says uh, um, in Proverbs 18, verse 1, it says this. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. The, the connotation of that is they become their own strength. They start trying to protect themselves. And can I tell you, with all, all of my heart this morning, you're not strong enough. 
You're not smart enough. You're not wise enough to protect yourself. The only one who can protect us is Jesus. Amen. Let's put our trust in him. I've seen it through the years. Amazing difficulties come when people pull back from their friends, from families, from their church body. The move towards isolation is always going to result in longer difficulties and greater pain. And that's not what God wants for you, and that's not what we want for you. Amen? Step in to the things that God has for us. Um, matter of fact, when we come together, that's where the promise of God is realized from Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. How many people wants, want Jesus to be with us? How many people really want Jesus to be with us? I want Jesus to be with us. And it happens when we're two or three gathered together. Amen? And when he's in our presence, then this, we experience the second benefit. And the second benefit was that they got fed. They got fed. Now, I know it's almost lunchtime. How many people want to get fed? Looking forward to getting fed, right? Man, we like to get fed. Luke chapter 24 again says this. It says that Jesus was walking with them and he said to them, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer, suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, first of all, when he says foolish ones, he's not dogging them. He's not dissing them. He's not being sarcastic and cutting them. What he's saying is he's expressing concerns for people who were just a little bit, who were without wisdom and didn't have complete understanding. So because they lacked wisdom and lacked understanding, he begins to give them wisdom and give them understanding. Slow of heart to believe, he's saying that, that they were a little slow to apprehend, a slow to act in their faith. Anybody here ever been slow to act in your faith? Anybody here ever been fast acting your flesh and slow to acting in faith, right? Yeah. And so that's what they're doing. And he's saying, hey, Jesus and his love and his compassions for his disciples, he, he begins to, to pour into their faith and pour into their lives and to encourage them to use their minds and to use their, their understanding and to receive the scriptures. And he's feeding their faith. He's feeding their faith. Romans 10 tells us this, doesn't it? That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's building up their faith. He's encouraging them in their faith. You see, faith is built by the word and it's built by the spirit. And faith is built in the presence of God. It's built in the presence of Jesus. And so Jesus comes along and he says, hey, here I am. Let me build your faith. Can I tell you, he was feeding them as they walked along the way. I love this, that in this difficult time, Jesus comes to feed their faith. And the same thing that Jesus did for them, he'll do for us. In our difficult times, in our weary times, in our, in our trying times, in our testing times, Jesus comes close and he says, I'm going to feed you by my word and by my presence. Anybody want to be fed by the Lord? I want to be fed. Jesus, come and feed us. Build our faith. The scripture says that he goes into the house with them, and probably their very own house, and he begins to sit there at the table, and he begins to eat them. And one of the scriptures we read said they weren't, their eyes were, were blinded, they were covered, so they couldn't really recognize who he was. But he sits at the table, and he begins to take bread, and he breaks the bread, and he gives them the bread, and immediately when he gives them the bread, they recognize that it's Jesus. 
There's all kinds of different discussions and commentaries about why this took place, but I tend to believe that, one, the example of him breaking the bread like the Passover, and when he extended that bread to him, they saw those nail scars on his hands, and they recognized that the one that was with them was the one who came and lived and was scourged and beaten and placed on a cross and put into a tomb, but now he lives. Now he lives and then he disappears from them because the scripture says that they then recognized that the next benefit had taken place to them. The third benefit, the third benefit that we see here today was that they got fire. They got fire. Luke 24 says it like this. It says, then they said to each other, after Jesus disappears, they can't look at him, they look at each other and they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road, when he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were gathered together. And they said, the Lord is indeed risen. They experienced it for themselves. So I want to share this about it. This fire of his presence came along and it renewed their spirit. It renewed them in spirit. I love that scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 12, but it's quoted from Isaiah 42 where it says that, that God in his heart, he will, he will never take a bruised reed and break it off or he'll never take a, a, a smoking wick. He will never take a, a, a candle that's flickering and about to go out and extinguish it. Instead, what does he do? He adds fire to it. He causes it to burn brighter. And that's what Jesus did with these disciples in that time when the, their faith was at a low ebb, when their, when their doubts had doubts and worries and fears and, and having to go back home and, and the embarrassment and the shame of having followed this so-called Messiah just covered their lives. Jesus steps into the midst of it and he says, hey, listen. I'm here to fan the flame and to give you a fresh fire, a fresh passion, a renewed strength. I'm, I'm here to, to cause you to be invigorated once again, to be my followers, to be my disciples, to be my people, to, to believe in me once again. I am here to do it. And can I tell you this morning that not only was he here to do it to them, but he's here to do it to us. The fire of his presence empowered them to re-engage with a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And it empowered them to re-engage with, with the disciples. It empowered them. It gave them the, the strength. Matter of fact, his presence propelled them. I don't know about you, but if I just walked seven miles and it was dark, I wouldn't want to be going. And they walk, were walking downhill. Jerusalem's the highest place. That they went back uphill for seven miles. Walking, it would have taken a couple of hours, but I believe they had a little pep in their step. And Jesus had empowered them to once again re-engage with the disciples and come together with the disciples. And as they came together, they shared testimony. Here, here, here's what God's been stirring and speaking in my heart. And, and if you've been around um, here long, you know I don't play with this. I don't use this often. But I, I believe as a word from the Lord today, one of the things I've been praying over even since Easter was just people who, man, at one time there was this, this huge bonfire of the presence of God and the, 
the passion for God and, and love and commitment and dedication to being the people of God, that it's burned down to a low, just a little ember. A couple of weeks ago, um, we, uh, Yvette and I, for years, have had this big bonfire, uh, this big trash pile back in our burn pile back in the back of our yard. And through the years, man, we've had some burn piles that, I mean, literally, you can see where the trees were burned by it. And the kids, we've had all kinds of great times out there and stuff. But we decided to get it cleaned up. We're, we're starting to get mature. And so we're fixing it up, making it look better and all this and stuff. And so I, I was out there and I said, it's time to burn this down and pour some diesel on it and some gasoline on it and all that kind of stuff and lit it and watched it and it flamed up and it was fun to watch. How many people like watching fire? Guys, you're lying. All men didn't put a, Every man in here loves to play with fire. How many pyromaniac men do we have in here? Okay, yeah, there we go. There we go. Right. And, uh, and so, man, that was fun. It was great. And, but you know what? It was interesting. Over the next couple of days, we watched that there was just a little bit of smoke just kept on. You couldn't see any flame, but you could see smoke and Sometimes that's the way our lives get. Yeah, we're, we're still Christians. We still love Jesus. But somewhere, just the, the discussions of life, the troubles of life, the, the pace of life, we get weary, we get tired. And, and that flame, that passion, it begins to dwindle. And I'm here today to tell you, Jesus doesn't come along and with the garden hose and put it out. But with love and grace, he begins to speak into it. He begins to speak into our lives and he begins to fan the embers and he begins to, to add fire. He's got that little fire container and he, he begins to breathe fire onto our lives and to rekindle the passions of our life. 